Welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. This series will question the assumption that people are psychologically broken and need to be fixed. We will talk about how seeing people as innately healthy will change all of your interactions and outcomes. This is a true paradigm shift, and it simplifies the entire process of dealing with mental distress and allows for more profound and immediate changes. Aloha, and welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. My name is Christine Heath, and I'm here with my good friend and colleague, Judy Sedgman. And we're going to do another episode of our podcast where we're talking about how psychology, the paradigm of psychology, when turned around and uh, looking at how people create their experience rather than analyzing what they create and looking at it after the fact helps people to be happier and calmer and live in a better state of mind. So today we thought we'd take on some of the beliefs that uh, psychology has perpetrated in the world about what one must do to get better. So whether it's uh, appropriately going through the five stages of grief or um, being able to process uh, death in a certain way, or which I guess is the same thing, but uh, having feelings about things and, and being able to store them up or get them out. Um, and we're just going to talk a little bit about how that keeps us really limited and also creates a sense of judgmentalness about how well we're doing. And people miss how their innate health is actually at work helping them get through whatever it is that happens. Yeah, and everybody faces it in their own special way. I think they're, you know, to say that there's a prescribed way to deal with anything uh, is is silly because each person's wisdom will guide them to their own way of processing things. And, uh, you know, and Chris mentioned, for example, the five stages of grief. And I remember one time doing a group and there was a new person in the group who was fairly recently widowed. I think it had been a few months. and she was distressed. She had come to the group because she was very distressed because after, after she had, you know, experienced her husband's death and the funeral and all of that, and she was doing better and kind of getting back out into her life, a friend of hers gave her the Kubler-Ross book, The Five Stages of Grief. So she read it because, you know, she was a grieving widow and she discovered that she had skipped. Uh, she did them in, in the wrong order and she skipped one. And she came to group. She said, oh, I'm so distressed. I mean, I should have had this book before he died. I, I, wouldn't have, I didn't know the right way to do it. And now I'm looking at it and thinking, well, what's going to happen to me? I've skipped a step and I did some of them in the wrong order. And I didn't even know I was doing the steps. And, uh, and she was honestly beside herself. And the thing that was strange is that everybody in the group was supporting her and starting over, saying, it's okay, you know, you can start again. And I'm going to wait, wait, <laughs> wait. You know, it's like, I, and I, I said to her, well, when you seem to be doing pretty well with the death. And she said, well, you know, he was sick for a long time and he really suffered at the end. And, you know, and it was a relief to him. He was ready to go. He really wanted to go. And it would have been very selfish of me to wish that he didn't die. You know, because he wanted to die. He, he wasn't going to get any better. But she said, you know, then I I, I guess, uh, you know, mentally I thought, well, you know, I'm sad. I miss him. But 
it's the best thing. It, it worked out for him because he, he, he wasn't going to get better. And there was, we'd done everything we could and it was time. So she said, I came to peace with it way too quickly. And I said, way too quickly for what? I mean, how, what's wrong with coming to peace with the logic of a true life situation that so many people experience? She said, and she's got the book with her and she says, well, in chapter so-and-so, you know, it says you, you have to go through this because it's otherwise it's buried and you're, you know, you're going to, someday it's going to come back. And, and I said, you know, um, I'm just going to offer you the possibility that, that Kubler-Ross going through grief herself kind of noticed that she went through these stages and she being in the helping profession decided it would be a good idea to share that with people. And she wrote them down and that's an innocent and kind thing to do. And now people are taking it as the Bible for grief, but people have been grieving since the beginning of time. And Kubler-Ross only wrote the book a matter of a couple of decades ago. So what do you think people did before? And she looked at me, she said, well, I never thought about that. And I said, you know, there's no prescription. There's no prescription. We have to realize that our wisdom will guide us. And your wisdom kicked in when you started to reflect on your husband's life and the fact that he was near, at the end, he really wanted to go. He was suffering and there was nothing that could be done. And you were just there for him and took care of him and you let him go, which was the 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 normal outcome of that kind of situation and there's no particular way to grieve it you know and essentially you probably grieved his illness more than you grieved his death she said that's really true at the beginning you know when they were trying to help him and there nothing was working I was very upset and then she said after I accepted it and I said well then you were able to accept his death because you accepted that he had a terminal illness before the death and she said, so what, what should I do with this book? And I said, well, you could leave it in the library here or you could put it in the trash or you could just set it aside. And somebody in the group says, but that's the Bible. That's the what I, everybody reads that book. Everybody I know in the trailer park, we said, who's old and has an old spouse is reading that book. And I said, well, you know, it's like your mom used to say, if everybody jumped off the bridge, would you jump off too? <laughs> you know? It was really funny. And I realized that uh, innocently, a lot of people write these helpful books based on their own experience, which helped them. And without any understanding of how the mind works and how the principles are at work behind our wisdom, they don't realize that people will, people will be fine. Not everybody has to do things the same way. And it's also really, um, it shows you the power that psychology's had in prescribing what people should do as if doing that makes you healthy. Right. Because, I mean, I know people that have gone through all those five stages and they're still grieving. They're still, after years and years, they're still suffering. And that's kind of the, the point here is not whether you're doing it right, but are you feeling better? Are you getting through your life better? It's like we kind of miss the whole point. Because we're focused on fixing what's wrong. And like the same thing happens with trauma, you know, where people are sexually abused or physically abused as children. And they'll come in and say, oh, well, this happened to me, you know, 40 years ago. And I'm, you know, been thinking about this. And it was an awful thing for me at the time. And, and I'm like, okay, 
And then we'll, they'll talk about it. And we move, kind of move on to talking about the principles and how to feel better and how it all works that that's why you're thinking about this right now because you're stressed about this other thing, you know, like you get in that insecure state of mind and then your brain just like comes up with memories like, oh, remember when you felt this way? Remember when you felt that way? And then that comes to mind and then people go like, oh, yeah, that's why I'm feeling bad. Remember when that happened? Oh, yeah, let's talk about that. And so the more people focus on that, the more it brings it to life now. And it appears as if that indeed was the problem. You know, that somehow something I did 40 years ago is now causing me distress rather than, oh, the way I'm using my thinking now is causing me distress and what can I do about it? So when people get these ideas about the past and how they need to process every damn thing that ever happened to them that caused them trauma, it's like they're in therapy forever. It works out good for people that do that. I remember I had a friend who was a, maybe I even said this once on one of our other tapes, please excuse me fans if I did, but she was a, a union therapist and she had the same 20 clients for the last 30 years. You know, like what progress is being made with that? Well, if you've got to process everything in your life, because that's what you think will give you clarity or a good feeling or whatever they're, they're looking for. So, you know, it's like that's, and, and it's interesting because people have it in their head that they should have these kind of emotional experiences where they get their feelings out, right? Like, like, you know, it's like when my dad died, I remembered I was going to get all my negative feelings out because I'd been freaked out about him dying for 20 years and 22 years to be exact. And, and, and when he finally died, I thought, that's it. I've suffered enough with this. I'm going to cry my eyes out and get it over with. And did it help? Absolutely not. It did nothing but make me more depressed because I started thinking about how depressed I was and how bad I felt and how awful it was. And the more I thought about that, the more I got depressed. So people, it's in, and the other thing that's interesting, isn't it? I, I'm sure you have the same experience with your people is that when we work with people and we, they start getting better and then something happens in their life, they go back to the thinking they had about how I should handle it. You know, and so they'll call up. Like I just had a client do this the other day. She calls up and said, this thing happened to me in my life. And I just don't feel sad about it. And I think there's something wrong with me because I'm not feeling sad about this. And as she talked, I had, I almost started laughing because I thought, Hey, if you're going to feel sad about it, you can feel sad about it, but there's not, don't have an expectation that in order to get healthy, you got to feel sad about it because maybe, but maybe not. And that's up to you. And it's funny how easily people can come to peace with things when they're not thinking about what they should be doing. You know, it's like I, I had a, a client recently who was talking about uh, sexual trauma from the past and it was way in the past. I mean, you know, a long, long time ago. And she said, you know, but, it, but the somatic memory is very powerful and I still feel it in my body. And I said, uh, you know, you don't feel anything unless you think it. And I said, unless it, unless there was something wrong, I said, if you have something that should be attended to by a physician, she said, oh no, it's not that. She said, it's a, it's it's the somatic memory. I I get my checkups regularly. I'm fine. It's my body is remembering that trauma. 
And I said, no, your mind is bringing that trauma to mind. And every time you do, you have the expectation that it's going to be a somatic memory. I said, did you go to a therapist after the, after the incident? She said, yes. And I said, what did the therapist tell you? And she said, well, uh, she told me that rape victims never really recover. <gasps> that, that memory is embedded in your body. And she said, and I, I know that that's true because that's what I was told. And I said, was this person like a psychic or how did she know that? Well, I don't know how she knew it. It's just what she told her patients. And I said, the thing is, you could go to some other therapist who would say, no, you'll be able to get over this and you'll be fine. And pretty soon the memory will fade. And even though you don't forget, it doesn't have the power that you give it at first when you're freaked out about it. And she said, well, then what am I supposed to do with that somatic memory? And I said, nothing. It's, it won't mean anything to you, if you unless you think about it. And I said, you could just sort of ignore it. You could let it go and just realize that that's just a thought you've had about all your life, that there's buried in your body somewhere is this horrible trauma. And she said, well, where does trauma go? <laughs> you know, <laughs> go somewhere. And I said, no, it just goes straight you know it's like <laughs> there's no it doesn't hang around like trauma happens and then it's over right and the only way it can live is if you keep bringing it back to life in your own memory but i said basically trauma is over when it's over that's a really good point people are making trauma be a thing right and they make their emotions be things that somehow are sitting in their gut or they're sitting in their you know, some part of the body, like I ask people, like, exactly where is it? Is it in the muscle? Is it in the limbic system? Like, where would these things be? And what do they look like? And they're like, well, oh, mm, uh, uh. and I said, that's just the mystique that psychology has made, that we have these memories, these experiences that somehow have a room inside our body somewhere. And they come out every once in a while and Reap, reap, reap havoc, and then they go back into that room there. And well, that's just make believe. Because we didn't understand that it's just thought. It's a little bit like thinking that demons possess people. You know, it's the same thing, only it's a little bit lesser thing. It's like somehow you got this thing in you from something that happened in the past, and it pops out and grabs you by the throat and strangles you once in a while. And you're caught up in it, but it's just how thought works in the moment. And I, and I think the most important thing for people to realize is that we can read an article or talk to somebody, a therapist or somebody in the, in the profession or, you know, watch something on television and internalize it, you know, remember it and then think, well, that I never knew that before. Gosh, that must be what you're supposed to do. And, uh, and then when something happens, you go back and that memory comes to mind. You think, oh, yeah, I, I, I saw a thing about that on TV. The next step is to, you know, have this experience or that experience. But our thinking is always creating our experience. Our thinking, not the book, not the article, not the TV show, but the way we bring it to mind, the way we store it away and the value that we place on it. And if you read something and think, oh, that's interesting. So some people do that. Oh, well. And you don't really do much else after that. You just let it go. You know, the art, the magazine goes in the trash and you forget about it. It's not going to come back and bite you because it's just another thing that you saw once. 
But what we do is we get attached to, or somebody tells us that something is an important thing about life, you know, a discovery that, you know, these are the rules for this. Like, um, you know, I, (laughs) I had a friend who uh, recently I was, you know, I thought I might have to have surgery as it turned out. I didn't. And I had a friend who said to me, oh, my God, I couldn't possibly do everything you do, your work with clients and everything if I was facing surgery. It would just be so devastating to me to think of being under the knife and blood. And I said, well, fortunately, I don't think about it that way. <laughs> I'm not too excited about having surgery right now, but if I have to have it, I'll just do it. And she said, that is unreasonable. That's not right. There's something wrong with you. <laughs> It's so funny that we live in a world where if you have a good attitude towards something, there's something wrong with you. Come on. You know, there's nothing wrong with the people that don't have a bad, a good attitude either. They're just using their thinking differently. Nothing wrong with anybody. We're all just the creatures of our own, you know, habitual ways of thinking about things and then experiencing our thought and going, oh, that's so real. You know, and the other thing is, is that because we really haven't known that we have our own innate wisdom, people don't know to quiet down and listen to themselves about what they do. Because whatever it is that you're you're trying to, you know, deal with in your life, you got to go through it. You know, you don't get to like think your way out of it. And by thinking correctly does not mean that you're going to be free of uh, feeling bad. I mean, this is just life. We got to go through it. And if you know that your innate health never leaves you, like it never leaves you, you can always come back to it. And then you'll understand why all of a sudden you're thinking about this thing that happened 40 years ago. Like, oh gosh, I must be in a really low mood. Look what I'm thinking about now. You know, it's kind of, it's interesting. I was listening to um, the Olympics and they were talking about, a couple of them talked about how they were compartmentalizing things. And I thought, what is compartmentalizing things? Like when people say that, what does that mean? And then I realized that really all it is is like, okay, yeah, I got this thing over here I think about, and I don't think about that when I'm doing my sport. And sometimes it bleeds in. Sometimes I get into an insecure state of mind, and it bleeds in and then affects my performance. So when you got to do that by thinking about it, it creates a tremendous amount of stress. So because you have to really work on not thinking about stuff or on focusing on, you know, in the moment on whatever you're doing. Well, no wonder they have a lot of mental health problems. But, and honestly, that's the other thing that's happening right now is like everybody's talking about the pandemic and how everybody's got mental health problems. Like all of a sudden, everybody's discovered they have anxiety. Everybody's discovered they have depression. Like it, it wasn't like it was gone before. But now people are thinking about it. So everybody's got it. Like, oh, this is my pandemic anxiety. This is my pandemic depression. Like, really? You don't have to do that. Like, I love the story you told the other day about your grandson. You should tell that story again. About about how he was all bummed out about the pandemic. And then you he said, what have you been doing? And oh, then, gosh. Yeah, my grandson dropped out of college for a year because he's an art student and he didn't want to study art online, which I can understand it was going to be a senior year and senior year is a very big year for visiting artists. And it's the year they all have shows, the students are graduating, so they do their final show and they, you know, produce 
great art and they'd get the best teachers and all that. And he just didn't want to try to do that online. So he took a gap year, but then he had nothing going on. You know, he had some kind of terrible job and, and, you know, he was, it just wasn't good. And he was saying, oh, this pandemic year, it's really getting to me and all these problems and everything. And I don't know, I just kind of wasted the whole year. He said, I don't know, Grammy, what did you do about it? You know, you're the, I said, well, I wrote a book. I co-authored three articles. Chris and I started a podcast and we started a program. I developed two programs and did them online. I spoke at a whole bunch of international conferences online. I learned a lot about online uh, work. Um, And he said, oh my gosh. He said, what about the pandemic? And I said, well, it had nothing to do with me. You know, I mean, I had to stay home. So I found things to do at home that I, I really wanted to do at home. And I said, you know, you're an artist. You could, you can paint anywhere. You can paint in your house all year and be the, no different from being in the studio. And he was like, yeah, that's true, isn't it? <laughs> he was like, and then he, about an hour later, he comes up to me and he says, thank you, Grammy. That was very helpful. So I wish I'd said it sooner. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize it was really, he had given up on himself during the pandemic, but he's back. So it's fine. But, it, you know, it's, it is funny how you, it, what we do with ourselves is really dependent on how we think about life. And I thought, gee, there's so many things I've never had time to do. Maybe it's a good time to try to do it because everybody seems to have time on their hands now. So that's about it for us. I just think I just want everybody to kind of be open to not being sheep and following things just because people say it's so. Because it, your, your intellect will not create happiness. I'm sorry. It's like, it's just neutral thought, it's just stuff you think. And it's your health that, that's in there, your ability to be healthy, no matter what. We really mean that, no matter what. You don't have to do something a certain way to be healthy. You don't have to, like, uh, be unhealthy because you've been traumatized. There's, there's nothing in the world that we live in can keep you from that. So go for that. Yeah. Go for the feeling, the beautiful feeling that's inside of us all the time, just waiting to bubble up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, everybody. See you next week for another fun adventure. (laughs) Take care. Bye. We hope you heard something new and that you will continue to join us to challenge the prevailing thinking about the possibilities for health in everyone. To subscribe to the podcast, Visit our website at psychologyhasitbackwards.com 